97. And the way we're going to read this is right takes a verse, left takes a verse. This is an ancient way of reading in the temple. They used to do this. They actually used to stay. Actually, I'm going to have you stand. Stand. I'm not going to make you face each other. They actually used to face into each other so they would read to each other. Um, I won't make you do that. I did that once here and I thought people were going to have just... They were apoplexic, so we're not going to do that again. But uh, you're the right. You're the left. I'll help you start. We'll read the psalm in an ancient, ancient way. So, right... The Lord is king. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. You who love the Lord hate evil. He guards the lives of his faithful. He rescues them from the hand of the wicked. And give thanks to his holy name. You may be seated. Now, last week you heard from the 16th chapter of Acts. It's an important chapter and perhaps one of the most important in telling the story of the early church because what we're learning here is about the first converts in Europe. Paul had thought that he would take the message of the gospel to Asia and he saw a vision from God that changed his whole life. And he took the message to Europe. And now the first convert has happened in Lydia. A wealthy woman, seller of purple, whom we heard about last week. At the end of this text, we won't see it in today's version, but when Paul is done with all his adventures or misadventures here, he goes back to Lydia's home to receive her hospitality. But between then and now, here's what happens. One day, as we, and we here is Paul and Silas, were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, and it brought her owners a great deal of money and fortune, of money from fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us... She would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. 
She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, These men are disturbing our city. They are Jews. They are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And after they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following their instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he threw, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, What must I do to be saved? And they answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And at the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. And then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you remember in the fourth chapter of Luke, this is how Jesus begins his public ministry with his 
own mission stated out loud, a mission that says that his coming to earth is to set the captives free. So I ask you today, what holds you captive? In the story today, we see an extreme example of captivity. In the Greek, we're told that the slave girl has a pneuma pythonora. Spirit of the python. Now, this is a reference to Apollo and his snakes that he had all over his temple, but it also is a sense of the spirit that is in her. You know what a python does. A python wraps itself around you. It crushes you. She had a spirit in her that was crushing her soul. It was holding her captive. And not only was the spirit that was in her holding her captive, but she had actual captors. Today we would probably call those people human traffickers. And they were crushing the life out of her. She was held captive. So I ask you again today, what holds you captive? The slave girl tells us that Paul and Silas were actually held captive. They were slaves of the Most High God. Captive to the Spirit of God. A spirit that held on to them so tightly they could not release themselves from it. But what holds you captive? The jailer in this text was also held captive, held captive by a job. To a certain extent, his handlers and his bosses held him captive. He was so afraid when he thought he had failed at his job and failed his handlers, his bosses, the authorities of the city, that he was willing to sacrifice his own life. A jailbreak for him meant abject failure. And he was held captive by that fear. Perhaps some of you can't understand this. I surely can. You've never been to the point where life seems so hard that you just wanted to end it. This may not make sense to you, but when I was 26 years old, I sat by the reservoir in St. Clairsville with a gun because I was captive to the pain in my life. 
and I just wanted it to end. When your life reaches that point, it's like holding sand in your hands. It's like grasping at straws. Anything you do, you want to try just to end that sense of being surrounded, enveloped, engulfed by it all. It holds you captive. And in the midst of this sense of all of this, the jailer asks the most human of questions. What must I do to be saved? How can I make this end, this pain, this thing I can't even get hold of? What must I do to be saved? Now, literally in this text, the jailer is saved from his own sword. Ronald Cole Turner tells us this. The question he asks is the most fundamental in human nature. It's a personal question, one that demands a personalized answer. What must I do to be saved from what destroys me? What must I do to be saved from my particular bondage, from my oppression, from my addiction, from my emptiness or boredom? There are countless ways to lose our way in this world or to be in bondage. Just as there are many different threats from which we need to be saved. What must we do to be saved? We all need to be asking this question, you know. There is none more fundamental. Some of you may not even know that you need saving. Some of you may only have this kind of vague sense that something in your life is just not right. It's like a puzzle whose piece does not fit. It's the square peg in the round hole. Something isn't right, but it's a vague sense of that. I suspect there are people in this room who feel that way, who know that they need saving. Perhaps just not from what they need saved. But the question still stands, as legitimate as always, what must I do to be saved? Friends, understand very clearly that Christian salvation is not a self-improvement plan. It is far, far more than that. When the jailer asked Paul and Silas... Answer simply, believe on the Lord 
Jesus Christ. Friends, God is acting in our world and Jesus is saving in our world. It seems the simplest of phrases, but it's actually the greatest story ever told. To be saved, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is far, far more than personal improvement. It's to be swept up in the reality that God is reaching out to us in Jesus Christ to transform and to redeem our very own lives. We don't have to do it ourselves. Jesus has already done it for us. Thanks be to God. Amen.